Hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson podcast. My name is Parker and I serve as a lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. This is a continuation in our series through the book of 1 Peter, Living Hope, in an exposition from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. Thank you, Ryan. I'll say bless the Lord if you sow my soul. Bless the Lord and bless his holy name. Again, thank you for tuning in with us. And again, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. And listen, I know uh, that this day is filled with a lot of emotion, a lot of excitement, uh, also a lot of sadness as well. And so uh, we want to extend not only uh, a happy Mother's Day, but also uh, just a day of, of also just a, a time of just to, to weep with those who weep as well and also rejoice with those who rejoice. But Again, we cannot say it enough. Happy Mother's Day. If you are able to and spend time with your mom, please do that. Let her know that you appreciate her. Uh, if you can't do that, just, just honor your mom in another way. Uh, just give her uh, the honor that's due to her for, uh, for being your mother. And that is a noble thing. And, um, and so we want to say that we appreciate all of our moms and, and moms that uh, desire to be mothers. And uh, as, as the Lord would have it, have not had that experience as of yet and may not have that experience. We want to also say happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, you are valued, treasured, and we appreciate you. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn them on, turn them to the book of First Peter, chapter number one. We're going to be in verses 13 through 16. And I just want to say right off the bat, as I study this passage through this week, I was very convicted uh, and, and how I've approached some things, and, 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 and certainly I think we'll, this will come to light and, uh, a little bit later and, and what Peter is getting at here, uh, but very relevant uh, to our society today and what's going on uh, in our society, and uh, I was convicted by it, uh, even had to repent, and also just hopefully it will encourage you as well, but we'll kind of talk through this, and last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, and uh, we saw of these prophets and these preachers, we saw the sufferings and the glory of Christ, and we also saw uh, the gospel of grace. And this morning, he's going to continue in that, uh, unpacking uh, what it means now for us to obey the Lord and follow out his commands that he is giving us. And just a spoiler alert, uh, up until this point, and I'll mention this in just a moment, uh, Peter has not really given us uh, a direct command as of yet. So 12 verses have gone by, and he hasn't given us any commands to obey. And I think he did that for a reason, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. The word of the Lord says this. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear this morning. God, I pray that as we look into holiness, that we would see the exemplar of holiness and the perfection of your holiness, namely your Son, Jesus Christ. God, and I pray that he would go before us in this text and that he would make a way as only he can. God, and by your Spirit, that you would give us 
hearts, hearts to obey your word, that we would receive your word, and we would live out your word throughout all of our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I actually, about a decade ago, I preached this same text um, as a 22-year-old, I believe, 22, 21-year-old uh, at a church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's probably one of my first or second times preaching. Uh, I was so moved by this passage, uh, and I just felt the Lord impressing upon me to preach it. And I found myself again uh, preaching this text, and I, I saved myself uh, any embarrassment from posting that. I might get over that and post it one day uh, so that you can compare uh, just my preaching and from one from 10 years ago even unto now. Uh, but I was very encouraged uh, just as I looked past my notes and over my notes that even then as an untrained, you know, didn't go to seminary yet, uh, hadn't studied Greek or Hebrew for that matter, uh, still I believe was faithful to the text. And so I thank the Lord uh, for even keeping me a decade ago and even keeping me now so not to astray from the word of God, but rightly divide the word of truth. And so this morning, I want to call our attention to a few things uh, this morning, same as we always do. Uh, I don't always preach in triads, but I just find three is easy and simple, hopefully for you to remember, and then maybe gives you some hope that we will get through this, uh, even though I can go a little long-winded. But uh, anyway, point number one is that I believe Peter is pointing us to from verse 13, is that we should set our hope, our hope should be set on grace. And of course, once again, we're met with a pretty meaningful conjunction, uh, the word therefore. And Peter uses that word and we see a therefore. We always ask this question. We, we say it uh, kind of cliche. We see a therefore. We need to ask what it is therefore. And it's a pretty big one. This is a big therefore in verse 13 that he comes to. And what Peter has been doing is he borrows back from his main argument, namely the last 12 verses, and he says, basically, because of the saving work of Christ, because of his gospel, because he has caused us to be born again to this living hope, because of this salvation that is coming to you, because you are God's chosen and elect exiles, you are God's chosen pilgrims in this world, because he has called you to, to, to be pathing through this life on this earth as ones that give glory and honor to the Lord. He gives all of these indicatives. In other words, all of these reasons or motivations to obey, now Peter will give us an imperative or he will give us a command to follow. Up until this point, Peter really hasn't given us any firm commands or any imperative uh, with any force behind it, just the motivation. I think it's important that he did the indicative before the imperative. In other words, he gave the motivation before the command because if it was the other way around, if all you hear is a list of commands and no reasons to follow those things out, well, that turns our hearts toward legalism. We become legalistic in our mindset. We're just doers, right? We're just, we're just these, we become doistic or doism is what we begin to start doing. And so Peter doesn't want that to happen. He, he wants our hearts to be full. And so he gives us all of these indicatives or these motivations before he comes and he gives a command. And so he gives us all of these ample motivations. Now he'll turn to the command for us to follow or for us to obey now. And the command maybe isn't what you would think. I think if you were just to read this at a surface level, if you were to read 1 Peter 1, chapter 13, or verse 13 rather, you would be tempted to say that the command is to prepare your mind for action and to be sober-minded. And however, neither one of these have the force or 
the language of verbal commands. They are instead participles. They are certainly, they carry some imperative force, but the force isn't on them as the command. They're, they're, they're not the command, in other words, that Peter has in mind here. In other words, they're participles. They're ways in which that you exercise or carry out the command that he has given. And the command instead is that you set your hope. That's the command, that you set your hope. You set your hope on what? On the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then you back up a second and say, well, how do we do that? And Peter would say, by these participles. You do it by preparing your mind for action. That term there is, is literally is, is kind of a word picture. The word there literally means to gird up your loins. And so if you know Israelite custom and fashion, uh, they would kind of they would wear these these gowns, so to speak, and they were long. And and so to gird up your loins would be to kind of gird those things up so you can get ready for action and move quickly. It could be some Exodus language that's being used there, uh, getting ready to leave Egypt and and go to where God is is sending you and delivering you from the hand of the Egyptians. So gird up your loins, get ready. You're going to have to move quickly. Be prepared. It's really the equivalent of of this day and age to say, hey, roll up your sleeves, right? So that's kind of the idea that he's getting at here. Set your hope. How do we do that? By kind of rolling up the sleeves of your mind, getting prepared uh, for something to happen. And then he also says, be sober-minded. In other words, think clearly about what you're thinking and how you're thinking, what you're thinking about. And we'll kind of talk about that as he'll bring that into play uh, as we conclude this, this passage today. It'll come in focus in verse 14, but we are to set our hope, right? That's the command. Set your hope. Note the language. Fully. That is completely. Put it all in. Put your focus, your gaze. Set your hope on this, on grace, Now, he's mentioned grace before in verses 10 through 12. He says, this is grace that belongs to you, this salvation, this gospel, the sufferings and the glory of Christ. And now he says, he continues now, and he says, it will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on the grace that is being brought to you or will be brought to you. So grace is coming to you. And I think what Peter has been preparing the reader for this, note what he says in verse 7. He says, though you do not see him, you love him. He continues, though you do not now see him, you believe and rejoice. And now Peter is saying he will be revealed. And when he is, it will be grace to you. So set your hope on the grace. Set your hope on the grace that is yours and is coming and will be revealed when Christ comes at his revelation. And the whole aim of the Christian life, Peter is arguing, is to set your minds and affections on that coming day, the coming of Christ. And I believe this is counter to the way that we think often, especially in the midst of trials and tribulations. And I think most of our attention when those things happen we tend to focus on the problem and tend to spend a lot of our time focusing on our troubles and our trials rather than on the hope and the grace that is to come. And Peter doesn't want us to think that way because I will admit, and I think you probably can too, I can be guilty of just obsessing over a problem. 
Maybe the motivation is pure, perhaps, that I see a problem and want to fix it, and you're probably the same way. You see suffering, you see difficulty, you see things that come against you and those types of things. I just want to fix it, and I just want to get past this. But Peter is wanting us to shift our thinking. He's saying, I don't want you to focus on those things. Those are the wrong things to focus on when trouble comes. Those are the wrong things to focus on when suffering comes. Those are the wrong things to focus on when you're being reviled against. Those are the wrong things to focus on. Instead, Peter says, you need to reorient your mind on your true hope, on the true remedy. And it's not going to be, the remedy's not when your suffering's over. It's not when your temporal problems are fixed. So stop focusing on temporal things and on the temporal problems that you have. Instead, Peter would argue, focus on Christ and his coming. Because you know that when he comes, all the brokenness that you experience will be restored. You will be made like him. Christ will be crowned as king. And your grace and your faith will be sight. But no, Christian, as we will see in a moment, this will require your intentional focus. It will require you to prepare your mind for action. It will require you to be sober-minded. It will require you to think clearly in order for us to set our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christian, what is it that consumes your affection and attention? What is it that consumes your time? Is it the things of this world and fixing the problems of this world or maybe the fleeting pleasures of this world? Is it in complacency of doing nothing and just having idle hands and just trying to get by so as long as you can? Is it living intoxicatingly for the worldly things of this world and the passions of your flesh? Is that what we set our hope in? Peter would say instead, you should set your hope on and your gaze and attention on the grace of God in Christ and on his coming again. And in that moment, the grace of God in Christ will be brought to you then. So set your hope on grace. Secondly, Live as children who are called. This comes from verses 14 and 15. Especially in this early chapter and all throughout the book of Peter, calling is crucial and it's critical. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 21. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving in an example for you so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For it, it is to this that you were called, that you may attain a blessing. Peter begins his letter and addresses these Gentile saints as the elect exiles. In other words, Christian, you're chosen, you're called, you're considered children, and your identity now is wrapped up in the one who called you. And so live in such a way as to the one whom you belong to. You are God's child. So you are to live your life not in conformity with this world, but maybe you should live a transformed life because that, has you, that is how you have been called to live. 
It's a language that reminds me of Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible flip there, it's not going to come up on the screen, but you know this passage pretty well. Paul uses this same language in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here it is. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed. It's interesting how Paul says we are transformed by the renewal of your mind. That bell should be going off right now of what Peter started this in verse 13. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I find it very interesting of the similarities and the connection that I think Peter is making here between the intellect or our thinking and our actions and behaviors that will follow. Peter is thus addressing our thinking and our motivation to say, you need to think in such a way so that you may live in such a way. In other words, you need to prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. Act as children now in verse 14. Note the language that he says, Do not be conformed to the lust and passions of your former... What's the word? Ignorance. Note the word. The word there is ignorance. Not in your former ignorance or in your old nature. You're God's child now. Obey Him. Obey His word. And I believe as believers in Christ... Peter is aiming towards that end, that we should be marked, our lives should be marked by distinct lives before others and before the Lord. Instead of just claiming an adherence to some truth claims, Peter aims that fruit would be exemplified and displayed that we truly have been born again and we are in fact God's children. We don't walk according to the flesh. We don't respond according to the flesh in anger or in pride or in fits of rage or selfishly. We are not conforming to our own wills and passions. Our conformity is not there, but it's transformation that Christ is aiming for. Listen to Titus chapter 3. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing away in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Peter alludes later in 1 Peter chapter 4, this will come up on the screen, note what he says there. He identifies some things that can kind of mess our thinking up, could keep us from being sober-minded, could keep us from preparing our minds for action. Note what he says and note the language and, and the parallels that are being used here in 1 Peter 4, three, four chapters later in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, note it, with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of, your, of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. So don't be conformed, don't live for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that passes, pass suffice for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And he's about to give us a list. And here's the list. And I want to make comparison about what it means to live sober-minded and live life preparing our minds for action, but living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. All of these things, I believe Peter is pointing and arguing for in 1 Peter chapter 1, have a way of distorting our thinking. 
And it clouds our mind from thinking clearly about godliness and what it means to follow the Lord in these things. To realize that sex can become a distortion and can become an idol for you. And it distorts the way that you view truth and love and sanctity. And drunkenness certainly distorts our thinking and ability to be able to think clearly and, and think about the hope that is coming. Idols throughout the scripture are said to distort the truth and, and grab our hearts and pull us away from the true God and turn our hearts toward things of idolatrous living as opposed to living for the glory of God. All of them are a distortion of the truth. And they affect our minds. And by affecting our minds, they affect the way that we live. And they can grip the hearts and minds of anyone, but especially for those who are following Christ. And Peter calls us, the way that we set our hope is that we need to be sober-minded. And we need to prepare our minds for action so that we can clearly focus on the grace of God that is coming to us at the revelation of Christ. This is what sin does. It deceives us. It is deceitful. It offers empty promises and these vain words to us. And it clouds our thinking. And it begins to pull us to live for those things. And if you have been living in those things or for those things, there's good news, beloved, is that you can repent. And that is what the scripture calls us to in Acts 13. That by now, God commands that we should People everywhere should repent from living in those things and for those things. And instead, Peter would argue, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are chosen, if you are God's child, live like to whom you belong. Because note the contrast that he says in verse 15. As obedient children. As children. You're God's child now. And as his child, note what he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance or your former way of living. And he addresses those Gentiles in 1 Peter 4, says, this is how you once lived. Don't live like that anymore. You're not that child anymore. You are a child of God. And then he hinges again in verse 15, doesn't he? But instead, don't live this way, but instead, as he who called you is holy, you shall be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Point number three, that we should live lives that are pure. The word holy is the Greek word hagios. It means to be set apart. It means to be separate. It means to be pure from any evil. And the thought and the assumption is that in light of this type of holiness, sin is exposed and brought to light. And so Peter recognizes this when the disciples were fishing. Simon Peter saw what the Lord had done, and he bowed his knee to Jesus saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. So he recognized the holiness of Christ, and he immediately recognizes his sinfulness as well. And the term that's used there, the argument is that you should be holy. Why should we be holy? Because it is written. God has spoken and he has said the theme of what God has declared. There's, there's disagreement about if Peter is quoting directly from an Old Testament book or if he's just quoting in general from the theme of the Old Testament is holiness. But nonetheless, the theme is that of holiness and certainly the Lord does call Israel to be holy as he is holy. So either way, the burden is on holy and righteous living. 
But it's not just a mental assertion. It's not just claiming or ascribing to a set of facts. It is being and living a way, a particular way of life as a child of God, as we have just mentioned. And it certainly has a lot to do uh, with, with the ways in which we can think of, if we were to think about oh, how can we be holy, what does it mean to be holy, we could probably think of a lot of examples of how we can exemplify and show and display our holiness. But as you read the book of First Peter, it's interesting to me that the burden of First Peter, Peter begins to tie holiness and righteous living to a sense of obedience and submission to authority that God has placed over you. And he also ties that, that this notion of living righteously and your heart being pure, regardless of the response of others. And so Peter does this. It's a means to display Christ. In other words, the way in which you respond to things and situations, even to people that are in authority over you, the way that you respond will display who you belong to. And there are opportunities, I believe Peter is arguing, to show and display the grace of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God in life when it happens. This, you could say the same thing would be true uh, with your peers. He says, when people revile against you, don't revile back. He even takes that a step further to say those that are in power over you, such as a governor and those types of things, don't revile back. Instead, submit and honor them. He would even take it a step further and practically for you that you likely have a boss at your job and when your boss says something to you that you just think, man, I just wish he'd get over it and stop telling me what to do, you have a responsibility as a believer in Christ. You will display affections. You will display the way of life and the manner of which you take that and the way that you live. It's an opportunity for you to respond in a Christ-like manner even though you might not appreciate what has happened in that regard. The same thing in your household, your children, and, then, and they're obeying you. What you say to your children and their response, it tells you something, right? It tells you that they're, 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 they're actually belonging to you, that they live a life that is honoring to you, or they just, they just pout and they tuck and, and turn and they turn and go another way. It, it's displaying something about us. It's displaying something about our hearts as well. And Peter is using this example when he starts talking about authority and submission. And the bigger picture throughout Scripture is that Scripture speaks of authority in the home, and Peter will do this as well. He talks about husbands and wives, slaves and masters. He talks about in the land or governors and rulers, and also in the church or elders and pastors. And understand when Scripture speaks of authority, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. But God gives us that authority. God gives authority to people. And the Bible reveals that it is for your good. And it's a way, an opportunity for them to honor the Lord, but also you to honor the Lord as well. And so submission on the other side of that is not a bad thing within and of itself. It is instead a way in which you respond in a way that you can honor the Lord. It's a way that we declare and display whose children we are. We belong to the Lord. Even scripture goes so far as to say your response to it can even be something seen as holy. And continuing even further, Christ set the example of that, did he not? He was subject to the authorities. And get this, even sinful men. Peter would have you go to say while being reviled, he did not revile in return. But he did what instead? He kept on entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Again, your response when those things happen will display 
whose hope and where your hope is found. And it's an opportunity that you can exemplify and display Christ-like humility and exemplify Christ-like fellowship and even holiness as well. It's interesting that Peter is tying this together. He would allude to submission to authority rather than rebellion, even goes as far as to say that you are following Christ's example. And understand the bigger picture is that when God has placed authority over us, it is not something that should be some, seen as just a cosmic killjoy or just trying to rain on your parade. Rather, it is for your good. God has placed them over you for your good and for your protection. And that you can model that you belong to Christ and you are subject to him. And I bring that about because I think that is very relevant uh, to our time today. You see very quickly, even in government and in the, in the situation that we're facing as Christians and even in the church of this COVID-19, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Listen, everybody has been dealing with Everybody has been asking these questions. Do we have the right? Do we have the civic right to do it? When is it time to civilly disobey? And there may be a time for that. But beloved, I don't think we've come anywhere close to that yet. And instead, maybe realize and recognize that the governing authorities were given and are over us for our protection. I mean, let's just be real for a moment. That the types of threats that were against these Christians in 1 Peter were much more rapid and much more rampant and threatening. Nero, the emperor Nero, was likely the emperor at the time when Peter was writing it, historically took out, was the greatest threat of persecution to the early church. That's who the emperor and the governor is. And Peter says, honor the emperor. And so these Christians were, had a lot more hostility aimed at them than we have even now. And you think about it even closer to home in Kentucky and realizing that Governor Brashear has been placed under an extremely difficult decision to make. And and understand that as a leader, he is not going to please everyone. And some may say, and perhaps even overstep, but understand, it was certainly and is certainly for, we need to recognize that, for the good of the state and for the good and health of citizens. And here we find it again. Is it difficult? Oh, you better believe it. (laughs) Is it awkward at times? Oh, yes. Even a struggle at times? Absolutely. It's human to struggle with these things. And it's hard to balance and nuance because we're pulled in different directions. We're Americans, but we're Christians. And this is what I mean. I even myself had to realize my wrongdoing in this. And I had to repent. And God had to do a work in my heart in this as well. To say, "You've you've been rebelling in this. And I was tempted to be more American-minded than Christian-minded. And as citizens, sure, I'm concerned. As a citizen, sure, I'm concerned. And I think there's good reason to be. But nonetheless, I have a biblical responsibility not to disgrace or dismiss those in authority over me. And I had to repent of not guarding my tongue. And I had to realize that I need to guard my tongue. Because I admit, I found myself frustrated and honestly feeling that, that of feeling a little bit more American than Christian of how I handled these situations, and I needed to repent of that. But as a church, we didn't, and certainly I don't want to model something that ran counter to that of the Scripture. And so we waited for a green light to gather, 
And we wanted to do so in accordance with those recommendations. And since then, you know this, the narrative is changing every day, right? Lawsuits have been brought forth. There's protection of religious liberty. And don't misunderstand me. Those are good and necessary things. And we need to exercise and be participatory in those things to practice our civic duty. I'm not dismissing that as well. But what I am guarding is our heart and our posture in those things. And if it comes from a, a heart of hatred or malice or frustration, we need to align our hearts. We also need to defend, I believe, a God-given thing with our religious liberties. I think that is a good thing. So don't misunderstand me. But I do think our heart and affection needs to be that of submission. It needs to be that of we want to go as long so as much as we can. And to align our hearts not to become filled with pride or to be filled with anger or resentment. But to say God has placed them in authority over me. And the scripture says we should honor them. Difficult, yes. Hard, you better believe it. But I believe that's what Peter is calling us to as well. And so as you know, the narrative has changed again even as of Friday. And so there's things that we have to reassess our plan. I know we'd mentioned meeting on the 31st. I don't really know. The narrative is changing so quickly and probably by then there'll be new regulations and restrictions and open doors and closed doors. We just don't know. And so we're going to have to gather again, probably not going to have the convenience of being able to send out letters and those types of things. We're just going to have to process with wisdom and with patience. But understand, I think this is why Peter is writing this to us. This is hard stuff to do. This is a hard way to live your life. And how do you live in such a way that honors the Lord, but also honors those uh, that are over you that you might not agree with everything that they do? But he continues, not only in the government, but also in the home. First Peter 2, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only do good and gentle, but also to the unjust. First Peter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. First Peter 3, 5 and 6, for this is how holy women who hoped in God to adorn themselves by submitting to their husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. And if you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Husbands and wives are to live together in such a way that honors the Lord. And wives submitting to their husband isn't about power or control. Instead, it is about structure and order, and it's an opportunity to display and model biblical submission of how Christ submitted to his father as master as well. And even in instances, Peter goes so far as to say, as non-believing or men who are refusing to follow the word. Peter even says, still submit to them for your submission and the way that you live your life may even win them over. How in the world will this happen, Peter? Because I believe that Peter says, and he shows us, it is the honoring thing to do, and it honors Christ, and it reveals your hope as in, is in Christ. And when they see your response, key word again, they see your response in living for Christ, they may be one. And I want to be very careful. Again, it's nuanced. You've got to be nuanced in this. Scripture never commands us to submit to abuse or an unsafe environment. And if you find yourself in that type of environment, get out and get help. Contact me, contact the elders. We will get the police involved. We will get you help that you need. Get out of that. Scripture doesn't, doesn't command that you stay in that. 
But I also want to, I think, remind us in that regard that those in authority will also give an account as well. And if you're uh, one of a, a little boy or, or, or so-called to be a man that abuses his spouse, or I would even go so far as to say puts his hand on a child in an unloving way, that the Scripture says that you will stand before God and you will give an account to that end. And God will bring about vengeance and He will bring about justice against your evil. And you should fear greatly what the Lord will do to you on that day. And I will pray that you repent. For I would not want to be you on judgment day. And the Lord, make no mistake about it, the Lord will make right every wrong that you have done. In the very life you swore to protect, defend, you made an oath for, but you abandoned that, God will bring about justice. But it's not just in government. It's not just in the home. It's also in the church as well. He says in 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility to one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you, understanding that God has placed pastors and elders to oversee the flock. And that each one, they are shepherds, they are to love, to lead, protect, to feed the flock. God has placed them, Peter says, over you for your own good. He would even ask, would you not agree that they're, they've been called, that they are not called qualified men? They've been affirmed by the church, they've been tested, they've been seen as holy, they've been seen and tested to be examples to the flock about what it means to follow Christ. Yet if you find yourself not wanting to follow them, instead working against or around to fight against them, insisting your own way that you know best, just know that this doesn't honor the Lord. And the scripture would even go so far as to say, then what advantage is it to you? And instead of fighting and fighting against the Lord in this, you could be fighting against his guidance and sanctification in your life. This is why the book of Hebrews would say that you're to obey your leaders and to submit to them. For again, they are keeping watch over your souls as to one who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and without groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Understand, what Peter is getting at in all of these areas is that we need to be reminded and and be thoughtful about how we respond to authority and submission. Again, not bad things. Rather, they should be seen and could be seen as holy things. And know that they will give an account. But also you too will give an account as well. And I think as followers of Christ, if we find that our initial posture untrusting or unwilling to to yield to their direction that we may be tempted to point a finger and assume that they're the problems it it may be that the holy spirit and the word of god is leading you to align your heart and holiness and your response instead to ask yourself this question is my response to these things is it that of holiness is it that of christ or is it rooted in self Again, these are things that we all struggle with. We all wrestle with these things, and it's to be expected. But Peter's aim is that we would live holy lives. That's the point, that your holiness and your relationship with Christ would go beyond just a mere assertion of facts, but it would be seen and displayed in the way that you live and interact in culture, certainly in an evil age, and that your walk will match your talk. 
And that all of these environments and all of these different things, it comes into the context of what Peter is writing. He means all of these as an opportunity. And when you understand that, it's not so much about submission and authority as much as it is as these are tangible things that can be seen and a principle that can be applied that the same could be said in your job. Peter doesn't address that specifically, but the context is certainly relevant of people that you don't agree with per se, but yet you still have a response and an obligation to them to respond in a biblical and Christ-like way. And so when things don't go your way politically... Right? I don't know that our first response should be that of a, of, a, of a picket sign or to taint the other party in a negative way, more as it should be to pray for them and certainly to exercise your right as citizens. Again, I'm not, that's not what I'm communicating at all, to vote for Christian morals and values. But again, I find myself preaching to myself not so to get frustrated about politics because here's where the rubber meets the road because my hope is not found in Washington. And my hope is not found in Frankfurt, for that matter. My hope is in Christ. And that is the aim of Peter in this text, to say your life needs to be modeled and exemplified by holiness. And when things come against you, you still have a response to live righteously and holy. And when we see the injustice or we feel the need to justify our action and their inaction, instead we need to pray for them. Wives, that's a word. Those of you that may be living with unbelieving husbands, would you pray for them? You have no idea how the Lord would use your faithful and persistent prayer and petition for them. That you live a life that's honoring to the Lord that they may repent and believe the gospel. Not out of pride and and keep doing what's right in my own eyes. Instead, be humble and be Christ-like. I think one of the hardest things for us to watch out for, and I think this is a good word, The hardest thing for us to watch out for in life is not to allow someone's sin against you to become your sin against others. I'll say that again. Not to allow someone's sin against you to become your sin against others. And when authority is at hand and our response to it is magnified, I think that's why Peter is bringing out that example. But it's really any time that you feel violated, right? It's any time that you feel mistreated, any time you feel unappreciated or reviled. And 1 Peter continues to bring that up. He, he points this idea in 1 Peter 3 about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands the need to be understanding as well. And then he goes on to say, when others revile against you, don't revile in return, but on the contrary, bless, for this is good and that's the way that you are called to live. Align your heart as well. He goes on to give an example of Christ and his submission and the way that he lived. He did not revile in return. He didn't utter any threats back, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What's the point? Live holy lives in every manner. Your holiness before others is a way that you honor Christ and you cannot help the way that people respond to you. You can't help the way those in authority over you will react and respond to you, but you have a responsibility, not only in those when authority is over you, but also in your peer-to-peer relationships and those when people revile against you, you have an opportunity and a response to align and check your heart as well. And that's what Peter is concerned about. He's concerned about your heart and your life, that you would be holy as the Lord is holy. God is more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. 
And he would bring about these things and how you would respond to these things that your response would be that of holiness and God honoring. Even when your rights feel violated, even when you feel hated, you feel reviled, mistreated, oppressed, Peter would say, be holy. Respond in such a way that it is Christ-like. Church, he is, he, is, he is concerned with us living holy lives in a way that honors him. And that his church gets credit, or he gets the credit and notoriety, and he's not concerned with us being successful or viewed as, as notable or credible in society, but he is concerned with our holiness. He is concerned that we fear the Lord more than we fear man. And yes, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, but it starts with your holiness and your willingness to follow the Lord. Is holiness the aim of your life? Is that the way in which you desire to live? To follow the example of Christ, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins on his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed for you were continually straying like sheep but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul live in such a way that honors the lord is the aim of your life holiness is it to be holy as god is holy do you live in such a way that honors christ and reveals that your hope is in christ in christ alone he's going to continue next week he's going to give us another indicative And the indicative there is that Christ shed his blood. Christ suffered to this end that you may live holy lives. He shed his blood for you, church. He shed his blood for you, Christian. Live a life that is holy before him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson Podcast. For more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com. And if you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. Be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson Podcast.